I like how it faded out. Yeah. Just stopped. Yeah. I stopped it. <laughs> okay. It got pumped up and then it just slowly deflated. I'm sorry. Okay, well. All right. No, I wasn't going to play it for a minute. Okay. Nay, now you just got to keep playing the intro again where it blasts because that's what my brain wants. Thank you. One more time. Yeah! Boom, boom. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the One L Two N podcast. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the One L Two N podcast. I am Amy, your benevolent overlord, and I am joined by some very accommodating minions today. Minion? That's me. I'm first minion. Tommy. Minion. And this is me too, second Tommy. I'm off the other minion. Minion. Minion Missy, reporting for duty. Minion. I don't um. respond to minion. <laughs> and our very special guest minion. Yo. Beautiful. Thank you, minions. Thank you. Thank you. We are a family of weirdos and a group of creatives going through the story writing process. And we're bringing you along for the ride. So let's get into it. Today, I want to talk about how much I love Terraria. New obsession, absolutely love it. Thank you, Tommy, for getting me obsessed. <laughs> and then thank you, Michael, for helping fuel that obsession. <laughs> yeah, thank you, actually, for that. Because I don't think I would be having nearly as much fun without you, Mike. Because that game, it's kind of like Minecraft. Wow, what, do I not help In bring the... fun to you? <sighs> no, not really. No, I'm just kidding. No, that's fine. <laughs> Fair enough. The, uh, I... I think it's kind of like Minecraft. Like if you if if you don't know anything about Minecraft, you're living under a rock. But if you you really don't know anything about Minecraft, then trying to beat the game is going to be impossible to do so because everyone just knows how to beat the game by now. There's no tutorial for it, and that's how I feel about going in Terraria, knowing nothing. Like there's no tutorial for anything, and summoning these bosses, I'm like, huh. So having Mike just be like, oh, combine these two things and some of the boss here. I'm like, oh, this game is fun when someone's doing all the work. <laughs> yeah, I put a, a solid 200 hours into my world uh, or actually had two worlds because of th something I can't tell you about because we're not at that point yet. And I messed oh. it up enough where uh, I was like, well, I'll just start another world. But yeah, it's, it's a really fun game. It's super complicated but also kind of accessible. Like if all you want to do is build a house, you can just get wood and build a house and it's pretty fun. But if you want to keep fighting more bosses and like getting better loot, which I, it's a really great gameplay cycle where you can just constantly get better gear. It's a good game. I, I would highly recommend it. Oh, yeah. It's also just like very cute. Yeah, it is. It's cute. It's, there's some like, fun, like I, I guess with the 1.4 update they came out with, I played before that and then I was going to wait for a while to play it after the update. But Tom has like a pogo stick mount where he just like jumps and flies around. And it's just, it's, it's so fun and stupid, but it just brings yeah. me joy seeing it. And I like stuff like that in video games quite a bit. Yeah. Flipping around like an absolute moron is, is probably one of my favorite parts. And I love stupid things in video games, especially when those stupid things really. Like it, that, the pogo stick has a purpose, but it's not like it's an overpowered purpose, and that's why I love it. It's like I can be stupid and useful at the exact same time, and this game is great. <laughs> well, it's something that doesn't take away from the game, and it only adds to the silliness. It's like uh, Grunt Birthday Party in Halo, where oh, if you yeah. shoot the grunts in the head, it explodes, and it goes yay! 
and there's confetti and stuff and it detracts from the game like not at all but it just adds a little bit extra fun if you want to play it in a different way exactly what was i guess your first impression of terraria when you started playing amy good what have you played it before so i have but i played it on the switch and i got so overwhelmed because there's so many different button combinations on the switch that i was like "Uh uh-oh the switch is not the platform to play this on Plus, I didn't really know what I was doing or what was happening, and I just was so confused. So I put it aside. I was like, ah, maybe one day I'll go back and retry it. And then Tommy was like, hey, do you want to play Terraria? And I was like, yeah, yeah, okay, I guess. Like, not really expecting much, like, expecting to like it, but not really expecting much out of it. And then we first got into the game, and I was like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm having a lot of fun. This is great. (laughs) Also, so glad I decided to play it on the PC, because that makes it so much easier. A little less portable, but much easier to play yes true true well but also there's not i don't think there's as many like updates and stuff from the yeah switch version but I, my, I really enjoy it one of my favorite things about the game is that you can get a, a really cool piece of gear off of like an enemy and then you can get another piece of gear and then oftentimes you can combine those two together to get the benefits of it and you're just constantly upgrading your equipment by combining them together until you have like the ultimate set that you want you spend most of the game looking at the wikipedia page trying to figure out like wait what do i do next which i love games like that i actually like you know when minecraft like i have to do it in that or any kind of i did it with subnautica a lot i I, for some reason the the you know crafting and adventuring style games where you have to constantly read an encyclopedia to try and figure out what the hell you're doing is very appealing to me and it shouldn't be but yeah, you think it deters from the game, but it also weirdly doesn't. You're like, oh, no, actually, this is like giving me more insight. And it gives you stuff to look forward to because it's like, OK, I want to make this, but I need to find this. Oh, but to make that, I need to find this and this. Oh, and to make those, I need to find this, this and this. And so it's like a treasure hunt. And you're like, OK, what am I going to do? How do I get there? Yeah, I wish I got like excited about my schoolwork like that. <laughs> but, you know, you're, you're like looking up nitrogen fixing bacteria and you're just like, oh, God. I, I I'm so stupid, and then you go play Terraria, and you're like I know where the the fart in the balloon is, yay! <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, ex- oh, I, that's I feel like the only game to make me like math is is satisfactory. Where I'm like mm-hmm. in my notebook, I'm I'm looking up. Okay, so if I have this amount of power, I'm I I know I can have this amount of factories. Oh, but if I boost them, I I have the minuses factories. And this is how much I'm producing, and I'm like, why? This is is this what math prepared me for? Is to play satisfactory? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I I feel like I learned more from video games about like history and math and science and all the things than I ever did from school because it's way more fun to retain information when you're like shooting zombies in the face than it is to just sit in a classroom trying not to fall asleep well i think the hardest part want to engage students better teachers should just somehow connect it to video games oh yes. absolutely well there are to teachers learn that this do. in order to be able to solve whatever level on whatever game i think with with teachers you just need to be engaging and i that's probably the most lacking aspect i know a lot of really brilliant professors that are just really bad teachers and I know people who are super engaging, but they're not that smart as professors. So it's, you know, I oftentimes learn from people who are more engaging than anything else. I I know that 
they try and teach you one of the styles to get, you know, your classroom engaged is to constantly ask questions about what they just said, you know, like, all right, so what are the, the three types of this? And then like, you just sit there in silence as nobody wants to answer the question. Cause you know, half the people weren't paying attention like me. And then the other half, the people are like, I'm too shy to speak out, which is not like me. So it, it's like, it just, it's a really boring way of teaching in my style of learning, I guess. I would rather have a goofy professor who is just really engaged with their students and just wants to kind of make a connection because I will almost guaranteed learn way more from that class than I would from anything else. Um, I think what you're looking for is Miss Frizzle from the Magic School. Oh books. my God. <laughs> I had a childhood crush on her. Oh my God. I think I remember yeah. this. I think I remember you talking about this. I don't know if I ever shared that with anybody I, except for the world now. <laughs> I feel like I feel like you definitely have in one your your wonderful drunken spurs just mm. talking with the family. I feel Probably. like it, it yeah. <laughs> Maybe. I know no, she did that whole episode on friction in the baseball field. Whew. Got me going. <laughs> wow. No. I don't even no. know where to begin with this. Yeah, I know. So that's a loaded <laughs> sentence. <laughs> I, I will think- say Stuff like that, which it's fun and engaging, is actually really helpful and helps you retain a lot. Although all I can remember is the episode where they go into, I don't know, somebody's colon because he ate fish food that was turning his poop green. But they were trying to, like, kill off the green bacteria to make his poop not green or something. I don't know. Did did they go into his colon or did they go into his whole digestive system? Because I know there was probably a whole digestive system. Yeah, there was a digestive system episode and then, you know, they start at the mouth and they show how the food breaks down, goes to the stomach and then they go to large intestine and then they go, or sorry, small intestine, then the large intestine and then they're like, all right, so how do we get out of here? And she's like, well, the normal way we get out of here and then they poop bust out. Yeah. Which is a really nice way of doing it. I thought she was like, well, normally you can go out that way, but we're going to take a journey back to everything we just learned. And I thought they went back up out of his mouth. Oh, it probably. Which is a really nice yeah, way of doing it. That, that's probably what happened. I was just so distracted by the teacher. No. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> this is where it all began. Yeah. This is where my weirdness began. And don't get me started with Barney. Ooh, man. Oh, just wanna- no. I hated Barney. Want to hug that? Freak me out. That squishy boy. Barney's great. That squishy boy. I want to. You like Barney, Liam? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Very engaging. (laughs) (laughs) What else am I supposed to say? Why do you like Barney? What's up with Barney? He's just like a dude. (laughs) He's a guy's guy. (laughs) And he's just like he annoys a lot of people, which I really like. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Oh. All right. All right. There yeah. This is all making sense now. And then Actually, isn't Barney a girl? And then no. There was Barney, another Yeah, triceratops. Dinosaur that was a Oh, he's just a great guy, bro. He's a childhood figure. Who doesn't like childhood figures? Crazy if you don't. Oh, okay. <laughs> cool. I feel like the only teacher I had that was engaging and engaged in the the wrong way which was she would pick names out of a bucket so you'd always have to be attentive because if you got it wrong you'd be like everyone would be like bro like in the class would be like bro you got this wrong you weren't paying attention like she'd call people out randomly and those uh, she'll she'll also do stuff that uh 
she'll like actually call you up and engage with the lesson so you to like go in front of the entire class and that honestly it helped me learn a lot i was like well shit i gotta be focused now i gotta focus i don't want to be a fool you know the class that kind of reminds me so i was working at a musical instrument store and we had like a district trainer come in and i was doing uh pro audio stuff i've done it for you know most of my teenage years and adult life and, and stuff like that i've always had a hobby for it but he came up to me and he was like all right uh so i want you to tell me how to use a compressor first of all what is a compressor and i actually didn't know i mean i was still super young at the point and i was just like um eh, uh and he was like okay so what's a compressor and he just kept asking me that over and over again and then he's like well let's go look at one and you tell me what a compressor is and then he went through all the different steps of it and he made me figure it out right there by just constantly asking me okay so it does volume control how does it do that and i was like uh uh, uh." i was so embarrassed by the fact that i had no idea what i was doing and when we finished the whole thing i had a slight understanding of what a compressor is and he said do you know why i do that with just about everybody and i was confused but he said a customer is going to come in and ask you what a compressor is and you need to be able to tell them what it is because it's super standard audio equipment. And I went, oh man, that's like, that's so true. I never thought of it that way. I can't just like BS my way through a conversation or tell a customer like, I don't know where it is. So it was a really good training technique, but the way he guided me through it was better than just trying to embarrass me in front of a bunch of people. Yeah. I, he was just embarrassing me in front of him. So I would have probably cried and quit. <laughs> 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 I'm like, I can't do this. That's also because I'm weak, but that's all right. I have other strengths. It's fine. It's fine. Well, eventually I did cry and quit, so it's fine. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is true. Moral of the story. Yeah. Happy ending. Cry and quit. <laughs> I, guess, I guess it kind of, thinking about it now, one of the things I wanted to, to bring up with everybody this week was the idea of how complex it can be to do the setting up of the the technology and the background processes for being creative. And sometimes that can be like a huge hindrance for people. I remember I used to have a recording set up when I lived in Baltimore, like 15 years ago, or no, it wasn't that long, whatever. I had a recording set up in my house, but I just didn't know how to use it. So I would never actually record music. And I wanted to like desperately, I just kept buying more equipment because I was like, oh, all I need is this one piece of equipment. Then I'll be able to do it. And then, you know, eventually you realize like, okay, I don't know how to use any of this. I don't know what I'm doing. And it was more of a hindrance to my creativity than anything because I didn't take the small amount of time to just say, okay, let me learn some of the basics. And while I'm learning the basics, I'll just be a little bit creative as I go. I think getting your foundation set up for whatever medium you're trying to work in is is very important. So if you're just trying to write stories you know, you can write stories, but if you're writing stories and you want them to be on television or movies or on the radio, I think you should know some background information about that medium so that you can then write a little bit better as you go. I don't know how anybody else. I think there's also a lot of trial and error that goes into, you know, setting up a studio or, you know, writing for your media or starting to record or making music, you know, using all the different apps that you have, whatever it may be. Yeah, I think you you can get very discouraged easily if you try something and you're not immediately successful. 
you definitely have to oh, try true. stuff over and over again in order to to figure out like okay is this what i actually want to do or what do i need to learn at that point i think the the biggest problem is not the equipment itself it's the hesitancy to fail at using the equipment or in general it's the hesitancy to fail well i i think and i know for me that's my biggest hindrance is like i don't want to fail i don't want to do things badly And, and this goes this applies to everything but in order to do anything right you have to fail like you can't just be good at everything automatically but it's like but i don't want to be embarrassed and i hate that awkward phase i'm like i wish i could just skip that phase and like be at least semi-decent at it and then learn from there so it's it always sucks but i i will say it's nice having a group of people surround you that will support you through the failures yeah exactly especially with like art because i think the biggest hindrance you could have is isolating yourself i think in general but but particularly when we're talking about like art and making music and stories and everything i feel like you need a sounding board you can make music by yourself and people have done it and they've done it very well but i think it's nice when you have a sounding board you can bounce ideas off of each other and you kind of get a feel for wait is this all in my head that this is really good or am i like blowing this out of proportion that kind of thing yeah getting getting that feedback is definitely important which you know it's it's a difficult aspect you you, if you are going to fail you need to not take it as the worst thing that's happened to you you need to figure out the reasons why you failed and i think that's opening yourself up to trying to correct whatever problems you might have in your creative process or um, however you can improve if you're if you're always trying to improve and you're getting great feedback in order to do that you're just gonna keep being better at what you do if you are constantly failing and then you're not getting any feedback from that whether it's from yourself or from somebody else which i do think the group aspect is a lot better but if you're not getting that feedback you're not going to improve oh yeah i think well part of that creative process too and this is this is something i'm still really trying to work on is learning how to take feedback oh yeah that's because that's like that that's something i struggle with it like so much is immediately when someone's like hey this is how i think this product could be better because i'm trying to help you make it better my brain's like uh you're attacking me i hate you this is the greatest thing ever and then i have to be like wait no 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 this is the greatest thing ever this is this is like it needs a lot of improvement and all this person is trying to do is help me currently and that a lot of times is a massive hindrance to me it's just learning how to take feedback or taking feedback in general at least when it comes to like family it's just like oh oh anytime the family's like hey this is shit i don't say that but that's how my brain like i mean we do say that (laughs) i'm like oh no i'm the worst creator ever but i'm like no no it's not well i will say okay a hindrance to having family surround you is that you i at least for me i do care about your guys's opinions i care whether or not you like something whether or not you know the way i'm going about something whether it's you know creatively or just in general what are you guys supporting me are you not supporting me and so i think sometimes that can definitely be kind of in the way of the creative process is almost caring too much what you guys are going to say and just having to be like like you said learn to kind of roll with it and take the take the criticism and say okay how can i make this better how can i do this better but it's hard and it's definitely yeah definitely a learning process so do you think you would be 
more receptive to people you don't know giving you feedback or your family? I think I'd be more receptive to people who I don't know giving me feedback. But then I'd be like, well, fuck them. It's amazing. I don't care. And then I wouldn't make any changes. Well, I mean, that's dependent. Like, it's dependent on people. Like, if someone was, like, face-to-face giving me feedback, I feel like I'd definitely be more receptive than if they were just typing out a comment on, like, YouTube or something like that. You know what I'm saying? I think I would take... I would hear what they have to tell me way easier than I than I would hear what you guys have to tell me but because I don't respect them because I don't know them I wouldn't change necessarily if that makes sense whereas I respect you guys and even if it's intimidating or upsetting to hear what you guys have to say I think about what you guys have to say and I care about it and I take action about it way more than a complete stranger would well, I guess there's a difference between like a complete stranger and if you make like a friend online or something like that. And that oh, friend, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, if you get to know them, yeah. Feedback, exactly. Yeah. Sorry. That's... Yeah. But even even with like, you know, a complete stranger, I think if you really wanted to be analytical and you really wanted to see what you could improve about your work, it may not be the individual stranger, but it may be a group of them. So if 10 people are okay. saying like, okay, hey, Amy, this music kind of sucks. And you're going, ah, eh, no, no, it's fine, it's fine. But then, like, four people are like, yeah, it's good. Maybe it does suck. Maybe there's something wrong yeah. about it. It doesn't have to be. But, you know, if, if a bunch of people are giving you feedback and it all seems to correlate into one major problem that you have, it's also worth going, you know what? Maybe the strangers that I don't know that, you know, may know me a little bit more because they hear me on a podcast or something, maybe they actually have a really important note for us. I mean, that's one thing we, we kind of want to do for this is we we want to be better story makers and creators and we need feedback and you know audience is feedback great. is is going to be so 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 important to us and so we are going to try and open ourselves up to that feedback as much as possible and same thing like if somebody out there wants us to give feedback on something they did like that's how we can repay the feedback they give to us you know we're we're going to try and build that sort of community so we can always improve upon what we're doing as opposed to just being like, look what I did. Isn't it great? All right, moving on. I guess in that that scenario, I was thinking like me taking like a piece of my art going up to a complete stranger and be like, do you like it? And then being yeah. like, no, and I'll be like, well, fuck you. And then walking yeah, away. You, just, you, have the, sorry. you have the stranger who actually cares about your work and then the stranger who has no idea what you're doing. It's like, why are you following me? Yeah. So you're just like, running up to somebody on a street with a painting and you're like, look at it. Look at that it. And then they go home and they say, this is why I hate modern art. Yeah. <laughs> they write a thesis on it and wins a Nobel Prize. <laughs> Missy, don't correct me. No, it's definitely the Nobel <laughs> Art Prize. Yeah. Man, so many things I could say on that. <laughs> Keeping my mouth shut. Now go ahead. No, no. The moment has passed. No, let, let her keep her mouth shut. Uh, one of the things that i'm currently working on which i think i finished today is making a template for our audio productions when we want to do like these big full orchestrations 
it's going to take a lot of time to make the individual cues if we have to go in and constantly add all the tracks or, you know, add the separate violins and violas and violin twos and all that. And we have to add it each time and organize it and get everything set up and get the right reverbs and stuff like that on there. Tommy and I are both using Cubase to do it. We've got some um, Spitfire audio um, libraries that we're going to be using for most of our orchestration. And we have Native Instruments complete collection to basically do a lot of synthesizers and additional orchestration and stuff. But getting all of that together into one package so that both of us who are, what, 2,500 miles apart can Mm, easily pass information back and forth to each other was a challenge that I was not expecting. But it's a good one. It's, It's part of that idea of learning to work in a more efficient manner and you need to learn some of the background things before you go ahead and jump into making you know long scale production so i was trying to think is there is there something like that in any other aspect of art that people have thought of like man if i just originally took the time to learn this it would have made my process better so like for painting if you have a ritual where you put all your paints out and your paint brushes and you get everything ready ahead of time versus just like grabbing stuff randomly and throwing it on there. Does that make you more efficient? You know, for, for painting, as far as my, you know, humble experience goes for me, it's always like a spur of the moment, but I use acrylic. So acrylics are pretty quick drying and you don't really have to worry about them too much. I feel like they're the pretty basic kind of colors that people work with not saying that you can't make amazing things out of them but it's kind of the the just easy paints or whatever and i feel like if i if i had a section set up where you know all of them were on all of the paints were on display i had an easel all my brushes ready to go yeah maybe i would paint more maybe i'd be more efficient right now it's all kind of like in a a crate that i have and so it's like whenever the mood strikes me then maybe i'll pull it all out so actually, now that I'm talking about this, yeah, that'd actually be really nice to have it all kind of out and ready to go so I can just like look over at, you know, canvases and be like, I'm going to make something rather than like have to have the mood strike me and then also have to pull everything out. So then, yeah, I guess you like you could have a quote unquote template of that just to have it kind yeah. of ready and set up ready to go. Missy, can you think of any example for, you know, writing that you get in a specific mindset? Or you have to learn background technology or something. And once you have, it's made your process more efficient. A lot of, a lot of little things. I think for me with writing, it's, I love Excel. So I set all of my little templates up for stuff in Excel. So for me personally, that's been a really helpful tool to use to say, okay, I'm going to start a new writing thing. Let me pull up one of my blank Excel templates and I'm going to plug in my characters here and my world building here and things like that. So that's something I would recommend is everyone who wants to write to find a system that works for them. I think for me, oh gosh, maybe just learning the professional side of, not professional, technical side of writing from like an educational standpoint. Does that make sense? Yeah, if, if you uh, or if you're passionate, you can write a story. I mean, you don't mm-hmm. have to get an education, but yeah. you should probably try to educate yourself about what you're doing if you want to be better at it. It may yeah. not make you better, but at least it'll help you learn 
some various avenues that that you weren't you know interested in before yeah and i will say you don't have to major in creative writing in order to be a creative writer but it helps to take a class in writing of any kind even if it's not creative writing because you get exposure to the feedback process to learning to look at your project through other people's eyes instead of just oh i know what i mean you're starting to see what are other people looking at and having questions about or confused about you know or techniques that other people may say you know this doesn't really work and here's why so you can can only benefit you to get other people's feedback outside of your friends and family group anyone who wants to be a writer i would highly recommend just looking into non-credit classes at the community college near them there's a usually quite a few unique courses there's no like graded assignments you're just going and learning unique techniques so that would definitely be something i would recommend yeah and i would say too like if you can't afford that or something there is usually some way to to get better training but you know reach out to to somebody like us and say like hey what can we improve upon and we'll be glad to try and help out because that's that's what we want from everybody else too like you know, we can get tips and tricks from each other and and learn uh, along the way. Yeah. And something I would say with writing is a lot of people tend to think of it as more of a exclusive or closed club. You know, like if you're a writer, you're on the inside, but writers absolutely love bringing new people into their circle. So even if you're not taking a class or a club or something somewhere, there are lots of amateur writing organizations or groups that meet both in person and online that you can connect with who will welcome you with open arms and you can just soak up their their knowledge and experience and advice with all different kinds of writing aspects so plug in with people that that would be a really really beneficial action to take if you're interested in becoming a writer or if you like to write but you want to maybe take it to the next level mike i wanted to ask you about like because you were talking about, you know, trying to to learn like what a compressor was and everything, or not trying to learn, but kind of being forced <laughs> to learn very quickly. When it came to you, your setup, and, and Tommy, you can say this too, how did you guys learn how to do your setup for, for audio recording and just kind of the different things that you wanted to do as far as like making music goes? Uh, the internet and trial and error. It was... Honestly, a lot of the prep work and setup that came for me was the prep work I least expected. So like setting up a bunch of different like file folders in my computer and making sure the pathways are exactly what and how I want them was like something I was like, I, I've spent it easily 15 hours on just setting up the entire pathway that I wanted, making sure nothing, nothing was was polluting that pathway. So like trial and error through that and testing out each one of my instruments like pretty much individually and then looking up videos like videos always help getting feedback from someone else that has done this is always helpful because they're guaranteed to have learned a new trick or a different trick that I never thought of. And it's really wonderful. Yeah, I will definitely second the videos. So one of my one of my jobs in addition to school is being a janitor. And uh, I do a janitorial for about two to two and a half hours a night. And while I am doing that, I'm listening to something. 
It's usually a podcast or it could be uh, music or oftentimes I'll listen to YouTube videos of tutorials on how to do things. And I will sometimes have to listen to them a couple times. I try and vary it and not listen to them back and back, back to back. But then I'll go home and make a note of what I did and or like what I heard, what I wanted to to learn, and then I'll experiment with it. And I've gotten so much information from just that, from the the idea that, okay, if I want to be a better orchestrator, maybe I should figure out how the flutes and the piccolo work together. And, you know, it's something that you never think about ahead of time. You're just like, well, I'll just put instruments up. But then when you listen to these videos, you go, oh, okay, now I, I understand. Like, okay, piccolos typically go an octave above flutes. It's very common for that. It's not, you know, what you have to do. but learning as much as you can about whatever subject you're in while you have, you know, free time or doing what I do. I, I, my passion is doing what we're doing now, doing this podcast and creating these like audio narratives and, and having a, a very fun, creative stuff, but I unfortunately have to pay the bills. So while I'm at work, I can try to get in that little bit of training and learning makes work more enjoyable. And it makes me really excited to come home and it, experiment with these things and get better at it so that that's definitely one way i'd also say that school has helped me a bunch i am going for a science degree so totally different than this but when i transferred to my current school from a community college i had to take uh, an english class again my credit didn't transfer for some reason and this is actually kind of the origin of, of where i started to think like maybe we should do one l2n together during that english class i had a teacher who said the most important thing that you need to do while writing is just to get your words on a page. And every class, he would have like 10-minute free-form writing where he, he was like, don't worry about spelling, don't worry about grammar, don't worry about sentence structure or anything, just write. And by doing that, I became a better writer. Not great by any means, but I was less afraid of actually writing. And the more I did it, the easier it became. And then I used the magic button of dictation in Microsoft Word. And I write almost everything long form um, through the dictation button for school because I can just speak it out. Yes. Because my my typing skills, sometimes my brain goes faster than my fingers can. Hmm, And oh, so you like skip words in a sentence because you're like, or I'll just get ahead and be like, wait, what was I writing? Yeah. 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 So because of that, I started using dictation and that is my like super rough draft for a lot of stuff. And then I will go back and type it sentence by sentence or, you know, correct the things that are done there. And that kind of blew my mind of the possibility of like, oh, I can learn ways to be more productive. And then I had a a separate class for natural resources. And one of the requirements for that class was that we do different projects in different mediums. And we could only do one medium once. So if we wanted to write a paper, that was the only time we could do it. And we had to do three different projects. And so one of the projects, I chose a podcast because I was like, I like talking. And I, at that point, had not done any audio production stuff for probably, I don't know, five, 10 years. And immediately I was like, oh, this is my passion. This is what I want to do. And I, you know, the, it, the podcast did not turn out great. But I realized what I needed to get better. So I definitely thank higher education and even my science degree for helping me figure out ways to be 
better at the creative process in things that I originally rejected. I did not want to take that English class, but it's probably one of the best classes I've ever taken again because I learned so much. And I just opened myself up at that point. I said, what can I do to improve what I'm doing? And with that mentality and that mindset of just embracing the thing that you're afraid of or annoyed with, you kind of learn a little bit more. So sorry, I rambled a little bit there, but you know. I will say there are people that... And I'll say like myself, I went to college for half a semester, no, for one semester, and I hated it. I realized it really wasn't for me. So what would you say to people like me who have a really hard time with school that want to learn these things, that want to get better and have a better understanding of their craft? What do you think would be the best plan of action for them to help their their journey of, for their career um, well, or their passion? First of all, I would... Because you're an expert, so yes, you know. <laughs> I, I know everything. Um, <laughs> I, I would reach out to people that you respect or that you are engaged with, and I would try and figure out what paths they took and, and see if there's anything about those paths that you find interesting. School is not easy, and um, Missy and I are both in school and we can tell you that it's especially as adults, like it's it's totally different environment. But I think it's about how you run out of challenge and embrace it. I think that if I was actually like I, I oftentimes joke about how great I am, but I'm very, you know, shy and self-conscious. And, um, you know, I, I use jokes about how cool I am to cover it up. But if I would say that there's one quality that I have that I, I really succeed at is if I see something that is a challenge to me, instead of running away from it, I run completely towards it. And I say, all right, I need to overcome this. Things that usually terrify me, like hiking the AT or being a whitewater raft guide, like I didn't want to do either of those. It terrified me. But when I did them, my life changed for the better because instead of being afraid of it, I now embraced it. So it could be that sort of thing with school. If you're really afraid of it, not you particular, but anybody, if you're just afraid of going to school, just sign up for a semester, get some classes and put all the energy and effort into it that you possibly can with the intention that you are going to try to learn something. And that might be the best way to do it. Reach out to people that you know you respect and see how they did it. Do something like like getting into a community, like Missy said, of other writers or you know musicians that just want to share with each other and get improve. And then higher education, definitely. Um, even if it's not in the specific subject that you're passionate about, I think you can always benefit from it. I will say there's going to be tons and tons of online communities that are always accepting people to just be like, hey, yeah, come with us. Show us like show us your art. Show us what you got. And Discord has been a very popular means for that recently like any discord that i'm in right now i can just be in normal game discords and they always have like a fan art channel and then they have like the plug your stuff channel and people are always talking in those like oh my gosh i really like the piece that you did and then they'll react to it like oh send me a link of your stuff and people are always willing to check out other people's stuff and they're always willing to give feedback so joining communities is actually wonderful yeah, I think it's kind of the idea of like show and tell, like as adults, we really don't have show and tell except for social media. But 
it's you have to like get into a certain kind of community to be like, look at my stuff. So that's like a, I think that's a really good idea because, yeah, I mean, if you if you go to somebody and be like, yeah, show me your art or show me what you're working with or, or what you're working on, they're like, oh yeah, uh, yeah, okay, yeah, you do like they they now have that opportunity to show you, um, and it's kind of cool to see people light up as well. Yeah, watching them be like, wait, you actually give two two craps about me? Like, okay, this is awesome. Well, I, I think that's one of the best parts about the internet too is that without it it would have been so hard to find a community of people that like want to tell stories with custom orchestrated like music on top of it. You know, the, the thing that we're trying to go for musically, it's so difficult in person to find somebody that likes it, but that doesn't mean there's not a bunch of people out there that don't. And anybody out there can find somebody else that enjoys the same things they do. And there's a community for it. And it's kind of just not being afraid to look for those communities or to, you know, join one and explore it. I think you touch on something important there about exploring a community. Joining a community is not like an exclusive relationship. You can test out all different kinds of communities. And if you realize quickly, this is not for me, just peace out. You know, you don't you're not required to stick around or or pledge yourself to it for life. So it should make testing out and exploring what's out there a lot easier when you approach it from the mindset of, hey, I'm just checking this out. It doesn't mean I'm forced into whatever structure or, or thing they're into. Yeah. I also don't be afraid to walk away. If it's not yeah. benefiting you or if you find it to be toxic or if you just aren't really that interested anymore. You might have made some friends in there, but it's okay to say goodbye and say, you know what? Let me move on for now. You know, find another out great what- thing about discords. <laughs> like you just join a discord community and you're like, you know what? People in here are toxic. Don't like these moderators. You leave the server glorious or in your family discord. You just have me disconnect you because you said something that hurt <laughs> my feelings. It's usually just like, hello, Mike. And then we're gone. <laughs> it's like, like, how dare you speak to me? <laughs> sometimes just like with exploring different types of communities it's just you know what tommy was saying with playing around with different audio setups it's just playing around with a system oh yeah to to figure out what works for you right whether it's techniques or physical setups of things just figuring out through trial and error an exploration of what processes work for you. And it could be something really simple. For example, with writing, I keep these little tiny pocket notebooks everywhere. They're in my purse, my backpack, my car, and I have one next to my bed. I've got one next to my my computer setup here. I have them everywhere. And when I get an idea that sparks, I just reach anywhere and I'm within reach of one, grab it, write down a note, uh, and then later I can go plug that into something. Mm. So for me, notebooks, like a gazillion notebooks is a great thing. But finding those little tricks to making things a little bit easier for you. But it does take playing around with things to figure it out. So don't be a trade. Don't be afraid to try new things. Don't be a traitor. That's don't be a traitor. Don't betray yourself. Try new stuff. Oh, turn around. Mm. Yeah, half the reason I figure out my tech is just because I'm just pressing buttons. 
it's the best thing. I used to do something when I was much, much younger and I was working, um, doing janitorial with our father. I bought at one point a tape recorder, like a little voice cassette recorder. Cause you know, I'm old apparently. And, um, <laughs> when I was a teenager and I was in a, a band, I was like, Oh, if I have this recorder, what I'll just do is hum into the recorder and then I'll go back home and then I can play that back and remember what I was doing. So I remember like I had it on me for a week and I just started humming these different tracks that I had and these melodies and these ideas. And I went in, I was like, yes. And then I sat down with a recorder to go ahead and start writing music and everything was like totally out of key and out of tune and it sounded terrible and i had no idea what i was like going for in that process and i was like oh my god i am the worst singer ever i have no idea what i'm doing and uh it was it was just a terrible time for me to realize like okay this process doesn't work for me but i'm glad that something like that works for you i i think for me what i do is i just use my phone app and anytime i have like a cool musical idea it it usually sounds bad but I understand the gist of what I'm going for. I have hundreds and hundreds of these like small recordings saved, whether it's just like, you know, a melody or, uh, you know, a verse or just a, a sentence with some music in, included that I, I find really neat. And yeah, going back, I'm, I'm like, some of them, I'm like, I don't know what I was going for here. Like, I can't really tell because I'll do it during work. And I'm not trying to like belt during work, just trying to do it like on the the DL, you know, so no one else can hear what I'm doing. And so a lot of times it's like background noise of like people talking and me like packing boxes or, or whatever it may be. I'm like, oh, this is not good. This is <laughs> actually pretty terrible. But some, some of them are good. I, I really need to go back through them, see what we have, see if we can cook up something special. A noisy box factory with you humming out of key. And at least that's what it was for me. It's, it's mostly like I honestly... I really like when you sing songs in a different key. So like a happy song, but in like a minor key. And so it's a lot of like songs from like musicals, like, you know, singing in the rain or um, the sound of music or just like amazing grace or whatever it may be. And it's just like, for whatever reason, my brain automatically goes to the minor key version of whatever that song is. And then I can't get out of my head until I like sing it into my phone. And I'm like, okay, I'm done. I can stop thinking about this now. I also have a terrible memory. So it helps because otherwise I feel like that, that potential unpolished gem uh, might be good for future when I have the mental capacity to go back to it. Well, speaking of going back, do you want to talk about Terraria some more? Because that game is fun. Oh, yeah. I mean, it is. It's so good. I, honestly, I really like it. The thing with Terraria is that games like that, like, it's so similar to Minecraft, right? It's just kind of like a 2D version of Minecraft. And I love when games can kind of copy and paste an idea, but make it their own and make it so... I don't know, just so much more. And we still love it and we still appreciate it. Like there's so many games out there, you know, like um, like Fortnite and PUBG. Like it's basically all the same thing. They're just copy and pasting it. But it's still somehow so entertaining because they put their own spin on it. It's kind of like with movies and uh, TV where you have a reboot versus using a template. So your standard template might be something like The Hero's Journey or Save the Cat where it's uh, an origin story for a superhero. Like we've seen an origin story 
a million times. Yeah. But when we see a another origin story, which is the exact same plot points and usually very similar characters and motivations and stuff, for some reason we like it again and our monkey brains are just like, uh, oh, this is new. I've never seen anything like this before. This is great. And slightly different than doing something like a reboot. Like if you make Robin Hood again, how many times has it been made and how many different ways? We already know the characters. We already know like kind of what's going to happen. Yes, you can have, you know, Disney's animated Robin Hood and then you can have one that's starring Russell Crowe. And they're obviously not the same thing. They're very different stories. But in in some aspect, they are so similar to each other. I don't know if I would necessarily say Terraria and Minecraft are the same. And the reason why I think so, I think it's oftentimes equated to a 2D Minecraft. When you say, what's Terraria? Oh, it's Minecraft in 2D. Minecraft is definitely more about like exploration and then doing some small stuff, whereas Terraria is so much more combat focused. And I think if you're comparing that to something like a reboot or just using the same plot points, uh, I think it's kind of using the hero's journey comparison as opposed to a reboot because i don't think terraria is a copy off of minecraft with a new twist i think it is actually something totally different i know that might be a really weird example to talk about but it's like if uh, minecraft and sonic the hedgehog met up <laughs> uh, but it, okay i depend it depends on what your focus is in minecraft because like some people's focus is is the action portion now i will say the amount of enemies that minecraft has compared to terraria way different absolutely different yeah so it's almost like it's a totally different genre terraria is an action game mm -hmm. whereas minecraft is a relaxing game <laughs> yeah. Oh. yeah oh that was good no it wasn't that's was really good I, so for me like when i play terraria i don't want to spend I don't want to build long, my game. Yeah, I don't like building in Terraria. I only like exploring yeah. and fighting and getting better gear. Whereas in Minecraft, I once spent like 12 hours making a big red barn because it was fun, you know? And yeah. it made it, it was totally pointless because it doesn't mean anything in the game. It's just for something for me to create. It's virtual Legos, you know? In my defense, watching you guys play Terraria last night is the longest I've ever seen of the game. So No, no, I was going to say, from face value, it's 2D Minecraft. Yeah, but, well, the uh, only other time I'd ever seen it was, was that mom and dad's watching Tommy play it, like, several years ago. And the awesome. only thing I saw him do for, like, the ten minutes I watched was exploring downward and, like, collecting stuff. So I was like, oh, it's like a mining game. Cool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it just kept going. Can you think... I mean, there's plenty of examples, I guess, of video game reboots where they just take one adaptation and make it again. You can just go for every Call of Duty game out there. Oh, it's, yeah. You know. I mean, a little bit of every Halo as well. Oh, absolutely. Once you find a good yeah. formula, you want to keep tweaking it a little bit and do something a little bit different. They're all reboots. Also, in that case, every single Assassin's Creed <laughs> <laughs> I, I disagree. I've probably played more Assassin's oh. Creed than anybody. Oh yeah, that's true. And it true. has transitioned. Black flag? No, Rogue? Black flag? I can't remember. I'm behind. Yeah. I've played I've never really I don't have I beaten any of Lex them. Like, I don't know. Yeah, you are behind. I don't Get actually wrecked. know if I've beat oh I think I've beaten only like 
the Ezio series, but for most of the games I just play and I have fun and I'm, I'm done. But they did a very drastic turn when um, Origins came out with Origins, Odyssey, and Valhalla. They are not your standard Assassin's Creed game. They oh, are okay. definitely RPGs. They've got you know that slight Assassin's Creed feel to it, but it is a totally different game. And I really enjoyed it because it was something very different. So from that aspect, I don't think that it is necessarily a reboot or redoing the same thing. Yes, it borrows a lot of the same elements. I would say that is more of a using the template to create something new. And it was kind of refreshing to see it in a you know different light. To be honest, with the last three Assassin's Creeds, I think they're just trying to make their own games and new games. They just slapped on the Assassin's Creed title to yeah, get more yeah. copies sold. I mean, completely honest, that's all, that's all I ever thought of. It was like, Valhalla is like nothing like Assassin's Creed. They've only put that on just to have more copies sold and make it a bigger game yeah. than what it originally would have been if they just said they're making a new game called Valhalla. Well, and then that's kind of the curse then, isn't it? Because you've kind of set yourself into this box of like, oh, we're good at these Assassin's Creed games. So how do we expand out and get people interested in it it's it's not even that it's just i think the smart play for them is if they created a new ip that was like insert name here colon valhalla right it would not sell as well as assassin's creed valhalla because people have come to love to it no that's that's what i'm saying is like they've boxed themselves in i don't know if they've they've boxed themselves in or if it's just that people don't trust new IPs as much. I think especially from a bigger company like Ubisoft, like if they just came up with this giant, I mean, you can see it with watchdogs. It is a very Assassin's Creed style game in a, in a GTA mixture. You know, it's an open world game. That's what Ubisoft does. Every one of their games has uh, virtually the same elements. There's a tower that you need to get up to see. Your map is littered with side quests that you have to do. During your main quest, you will find out what type of side quests you're going to be doing for the rest of the game. It's it's like a very cookie cutter, like copy and paste sort of style for all their games. But if you're a company and you want to make money, you do have to do that smart move and you have to say, okay, we could come out with like, I don't know, Legends of Old Valhalla. And people will be like, what's Legends of Old? I don't know that. And for the average consumer, you know, if you're only going to buy a couple games a year, man, you're going to spend $60 on a game for Christmas. Like if if your parents are getting you one or something and you know the Assassin's Creed name and you know that it's typically a higher quality game, there's going to be 200 hours of gameplay that you can do. You're going to want to do that as opposed to spending your money on, you know, legends of old. So I I get why they're doing it. I also agree with Liam. I think that they are transitioning away from what they had originally, that formula, and they are trying something different, which I like, you know? There's only so many times you can do a reboot before you have diminishing returns. So now they're doing a, a rehash. Question about this, since I'm not very familiar with any of these games, are they actually reboots of prior installments, or are they sequels? Oh, sequels. A bit of both. Yeah. So to me, a sequel is here's the next piece of the story, whereas a reboot is here is us just restarting a franchise and you may get some of the same story again. 
Well, let's bring it back to the classic example of Star Wars Episode Seven. Is that a sequel or is it a reboot? It is a sequel. It's a sequel. It's a sequel. It might reuse elements, but it's a sequel. I think more than anything, it's a reboot. It is getting people comfortable with the idea that Star Wars has changed. It is not the Clone Wars style that people were so upset by in the prequels. It was not, you know, the original trilogy. It was going and them telling the audience, we're back on track. This is what you want. But it was so many years later that they needed to bring in a new young cast. I'm sure that they thought that they would make, you know, a bunch of movies after they did their their trilogy with a lot of these characters. But in order to do that, they hit nearly the same story beats. They had very similar characters and they, they you know, did a bunch of the nostalgia stuff where they showed you, oh, hey, look, this character's there. That character's there. You remember this or that, you know, but in general, I feel like it's more of a reboot. It was a sequel that also rebooted the series. Yeah, but you could say that about anything like you could say that about and this could be controversial, but you could say that about episode one, two and three, because it had been so long since the Star Wars movies came out that it like rebooted people's interest in the movies. Were they bad? Sure. I actually like them, but I understand why people like hardcore diehard fans don't like them. However, there are people who never saw Star Wars and that and episode one, two and three was their introduction into the Star Wars universe. There are never pe- there are people who have never seen Star Wars and their introduction into the Star Wars universe is the Mandalorian. There are people who have never seen Star Wars, yet their introduction was the Clone Wars TV show. So I don't think it's a bad thing. I just think it's just another way to get people into this <laughs> megaverse. Well, that's what I'm so saying. many, so many storylines. It's it's not a direct prequel, sequel, supporting material, anything. It is something to tell an original story that is based upon some of the old material, but maybe with new characters. And if you look at something like Dracula, how many versions of dracula or van helsing have we seen and it's the same story and maybe they'll change the characters around a little bit but if you did a version if you did like dracula 2 and it didn't have dracula in it or van helsing or it didn't have any of like the standard characters that you go for then you're gonna go oh okay this is a a different movie it's like a reboot but it's kind of keeping the same vampire aesthetic and i think that's kind of what i feel about a lot of the star wars stuff is I feel like the prequels were definitely prequels. They were like, hey, we are going to set this up. We're going to also reintroduce a new audience, but we are, you know, setting it all up. Whereas the sequels were like, look, we're just going to start over again because we all know that you didn't like the prequels. So here we go. We could have done anything else, but this is what we're doing. To go to to go off the Dracula train real quick, as far as having elements of Dracula in another like, it's not Dracula unless it has, like, Van Helsing in it or, you know, these whatever. I don't know what Dracula is. Besides, like, drinking blood and, like, doesn't like garlic. I really don't know that much about Dracula. Um, <laughs> well, he's a vampire. <laughs> oh, really? I wasn't sure. Thank you. No, okay, so as far as that goes, like, with with monster movies in general, okay, what kind of defining elements do you need in those movies in order to make them those monster movies so like for example twilight is a vampire movie but it kind of threw out everything that everyone knows about vampires 
So everyone's like, oh, it's a bad movie because of that. I don't Whereas, think that's why people thought the Twilight was <laughs> <so bad. laughs> This is why. <laughs> okay, yes, it is just a terrible movie. But it actually, I will fight tooth and nail. It's got some of the best music, though. The soundtracks to all the Twilight movies are just phenomenal. They're really, really good. It's Muse, isn't it? No, it's not just Muse. There's, there, there's, it's a mel- it's medley part. of people, but oh. it's some really good songs on there. But, but no, my question is, is like, what do you need to, like, is it, is there a required, like, okay, if you're going to make a vampire book, you have to have these elements. Or if you're going to make a werewolf book or movie or whatever, you have to have these elements. If you're going to make an alien book, you have to have these elements. Like, at what point do you stop and say, no, I'm going to make it my own and you can love it or hate it? And does that make it a good thing? To like go off on your own, or like should you follow that kind of guideline that everyone kind of knows in order to like make it a good start? Does that, does that make sense? I think um, if you are doing, we'll we'll stick with Dracula. If you're doing a vampire story, there's several elements that you can borrow from other vampire literature, like garlic, silver, sunlight, you know, drinks blood. Okay, now you have your core elements. So now you're telling a vampire story. You can choose to tell that story in any number of ways. You can make it very dramatic, like Interview with a Vampire, or you can make it extremely awesome, like the Blade movies, which (laughs) I will defend because they're awesome in being so bad. I think even Dad likes them, too. Well, Dad likes terrible movies, let's be honest. (gasps) That's where I get it from! Uh Oh my gosh. (laughs) So yeah, you can take those specific elements and you can make a story. I mean, even in Blade Trinity... They have Dracula, you know, so what differentiates them? It's, uh, I think, about the genre that you sort of use when you tell it. You don't have to do all of it. Even in Blade specifically, they say, like, garlic doesn't do really anything. Yes, it, like, makes them have an allergic reaction. But crosses don't do anything in the Blade movies, but it would do something to Dracula. So... I think that you want to have some similar elements. If you're telling a Dracula or a vampire type story, you want to have something that makes the audience familiar with your situation. But if you just do everything the exact same at that point, you're not just borrowing ideas. You're just doing a reboot. And of course you don't have to tell a vampire tale with the standard, like you drink blood and you get hurt by silver and sunlight and all that sort of stuff. Like you could just take one element of that and expand it out and say, okay, well, what if like a bunch of people actually were hurt by silver and that is your vampire tale? Maybe they don't drink blood. Maybe they, they can go out during the day, but there's like a group of people who are highly allergic to silver and all of a sudden they can pass on this disease to other people. You know, it's, it's just choosing whatever element to tell whatever story you want. Cause remember the elements aren't the story. The elements are just memorable parts of the story i guess i brought up the twilight thing because there was a lot of there was there were a lot of people who were angry because they're like that's not what a vampire a vampire is because they don't get affected by the sun but if they go out in the sun their skin like sparkles like diamonds apparently so that's how like you know that you're otherworldly because your skin is so beautiful and radiant and like shimmery and shiny that it's like oh you're clearly there's something weird and people were like well then that's clearly not a vampire book because yeah they drink blood but they should die in the sun and they're not allergic to garlic and it's like okay but it doesn't i don't know i think that when you 
kind of restrict yourself to like, I want to make a vampire movie. I have to have these elements. It it can almost hinder the story that you want to tell. Mm, depends upon how you tell it, though. And depends upon why you want those specific elements in there. Oh, okay, true. But I'm saying if if you are basing it off of like, oh, no, in order to tell a good vampire story, I have to have all the basic, quote, unquote, classified, not classified. Um, classic. The classic, yeah. I have to have all the like original classic vampire ideas. Otherwise, it's not going to be like almost respected as a vampire book. Well, I think you have to make you have to make changes, but those changes have to have maybe not a massive impact on the story, but like a sensible impact on the story. You know, like why is his skin sparkly? Is it sparkly just to be sparkly, and just so that he doesn't die in the sun during the day? Is that it? Well, or, honestly, it's uh, Twilight's a allegory for Mormonism, and I think it has to do something with like the angels or some crap or whatever. But yeah, uh, sure. I was gonna say like if you design a story based off of changing one of your your ideal your stereotypical i guess like features of that story like for example zombies and them being like brain dead well then you have i zombie like no that is such a good that's a good show it's it's a good show and it's a wonderful concept do you want to explain the concept to me because i'm gonna fumble over my words because you've seen it more than i have oh yeah um so the idea is zombies are not like brain dead they're like walking around but they just like eating human brains and if i think you go too long without eating human brains that's when you become like the the zombie zombies but if you eat the brains you're like nourished and it's fine but the side effects to eating the brains is you actually inherit the person's like memories and and personality so the main character works in a morgue because she's and she's a zombie and she helps solve their murders because she kind of figures out like what's going on by eating their brains and like becoming the person and and like she gets away with it because she tells everyone she's like psychic and stuff and she's like oh i'm getting a reading (laughs) when it's actually her just (laughs) getting a memory from the brain she's eaten but it's 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 really clever it's a unique concept and they actually make a change that's useful and productive towards the story instead of being like skin sparkly. <laughs> that's actually a really good example. I totally forgot about iZombie. That's that's a good good show. I mean, you know, it's a CW show or whatever. So yeah, it's good for the CW. Take it. <laughs> it's it's good for the CW. Got to take it in stride, but yeah, it's fine. Is there any like genres that? Like any zombie movies or werewolf movies or alien movies that if like someone removed one of those elements, you guys would be like, no, no. I mean, personally, not. I, you got to think about it. like if you are tied down to the fact as a consumer that it has to have certain elements, you're just setting yourself up for disappointment because you're not looking at the story itself. You're looking at the elements that are in a story and that is what's going to detract it. So even if you are writing something. If you write and you say, well, I have to have this and I have to have that, you know, you you can very much tell when a movie is written by like Sony, like the movie studio, because they do that with their writing. It seems they they go down and they say, "Okay, we need to have all these elements in and we need to have it at this point. And oh, yeah, here's some product like placements. And, you know, it's it's very like you kind of cringe when you see a bunch of it. And for some reason, people love them. But as a writer, you shouldn't want to write something that is 
pigeonholed into a specific element. You should worry about your story overall, and then how do those elements that you want to include in there, how do they play into the story? Fair point. Sometimes I think it's almost lazy writing, like just relying on the basic elements to carry a story. Whereas I personally enjoy it when there's a fresh new take on a classic topic or genre or, you know, whatever. Something that people classically think of as one way and then suddenly, whoa, here's a story. And you're like, that's different. I tend to like that because it's something novel, you know, it's it's exciting to see something new and have a new experience for a change. Well, and I, I guess that's kind of like the whole point is like. They say that every story that's been told has already been told. Like all the ideas have been taken. You know what I mean? So it's just like, okay, how do you rework those ideas that are already done to give them new life to make a good story? Well, I'd say if you're struggling to do that, start with the formulas and start with the basics. That's how I write a lot of times is I just go. That's how you learn too. Yeah, you, you go with the very basics. If you are going out there and trying to make a completely new story, and in our case, if you're trying to compose for it, we're going to make completely new music for it, and we're going to have it be something unique. We're going to break all bounds, and it's just not going to work because people are going to see, and it could, it's, it's very rare that it would work, but people are going to see that you are trying so hard to make something different, where in, in reality, they might not connect with that, where you can just stick with your typical hero's journey story and it plays in a lot better because you learn how to write. You learn how to be a better creative or musician or whatever because you're sticking with some basic elements. Once you're getting better at that, then you can start breaking the rules because you've known how to. Yeah, exactly. You need to know the rules before you can break them. I mean, there, there's a reason why if you're doing chord progressions that one, five, six, four is like one of the most popular chord progressions for every song you've ever heard. It's because it works and you can make it into your own. There are so many examples of those specific chord progressions that... Literally all of Christian music. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, almost every pop song, I mean, not every, but these, a surprising number of pop songs have it. And the reason why it works is because it is some core element that we identify with. But you can put your own flavors on top of that. And you don't have to do one, five, six, four. You can mix it up and throw in a three if you want, you know? Yeah. It's, it's just, it's universal language to help you start your process, not to finish it. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. It's a starting point, not an end point. Yeah. So if you want to tell that zombie tale or that vampire tale, take those elements. Start with them. Don't worry too much about keeping the elements like strictly what it is. Be flexible, but don't go out there saying, I'm going to tell a zombie tale, but I'm going to break all the rules because that is going against what has already been established as something popular unless you have the talent to do it, which typically you need to develop. I think more often it's a better idea that you take it it has almost all of the classic rules in it, but then there's this one thing that is distinctly unique and you run with just that one thing and you yeah. give it purpose. You give it a reason to be unique. There's this story that I have in my head where the main girl winds up having powers and I always thought it'd be really cool to have her have like fire powers just because I thought it was really cool. And then <laughs> I was thought about this when I was, you know, 
oh gosh, this is like at least 15 years ago when I thought about this this story. <laughs> and I have listened and read so many stories since then where the main character has fire powers that I'm like, oh no. <laughs> oh no, I can't. I can't do it. <laughs> like I and but it sucks cuz like the whole thing was kind of written around or in my mind it was written around the fact that she had these fire powers and like there was going to be a mystery um about her getting them and like the main house that she was in like burned down. It's a whole thing. But trying to like rewrite that feels so discouraging to me just because it's like I want to make something that's interesting and unique and like you're saying I don't think I have the talent to like take this basic concept that a lot of people use of like a fire magic and making it unique enough that it's going to be compelling enough as a story and not feel like a sort of a copy and paste. Well, I I think then what one of the main problems might be is that you're starting with the fire magic and you can include those elements. You can have an idea where like, okay, a character has fire magic abilities, but you need to figure out what the character's arc is going to be, how the character is going to react to those elements. That is the actual core of any story is what the character goes through. It's not about the unique terms that the character has along. So if you really want a character to have fire element powers, that's fine. Give it to them. But figure out the journey that the character is going to take. And then those fire element powers can then be applied to that journey in various ways. And it can test the character and the character can grow or fail because of those powers. And I think that's the more important aspect as opposed to just going, well, she's got fire powers because you can say, okay, she's got lightning powers and her house blew up from lightning and you can just change those powers. But the story can be relatively the same. True. I mean, there's like more to it than everything I just said. But yes, yeah. But no, yeah. I, I like that. That makes sense. If, if you're holding yourself down to one specific style of writing because you have to include an element in it and that is blocking you, I would just recommend getting rid of that element that you're holding yourself down with and just keep writing. And if you can put it back in, that's great. But if you can't, then maybe it's the element that's a problem and not the story that you're trying to tell. And maybe at the same me. time, if your whole story <laughs> falls apart, if you remove that one element, then maybe that's just a story for yourself. Yeah. But there's nothing wrong with that, too. Yeah. And writing for yourself also gives you a lot of practice. But sometimes stories are not unique enough to be put out. So sometimes you, they're just for you. I feel like I just got punched. I would also say before we wrap up, you should always, at least in my opinion, always write a story for you. And mm-hmm. hopefully oh, that yeah. story, that music, that picture you paint, hopefully that's going to connect with other people as well. And you, you want to definitely work on connecting with other people through that. But if you're not happy with the thing that you're making, unless it's your full-time job, don't make it. Make something else. I would say yes to that to a certain extent because an artist, regardless of their medium, is usually never going to be truly satisfied with what they make. They're never going to be 100% like, yes, this is it. This is the finished product. 
Mm-hmm. You're always going to want to tweak it just a little more. I think it could use just a little more. And at some point you have to learn to accept it where it is and walk away from it to move on to the next thing. Yes, but that is different than wanting to improve should be something that everybody as an artist wants to do. But making something that you just don't want to make to begin with. Mm, yeah, okay. If it's not for you then you're going to have a hard time making that unless it's your job and you're a pro at knowing how to do that. Yeah. Because I'm sure there's plenty of screenwriters and composers and stuff that are like, okay, yeah, I'll just go ahead and I'll do this because it's a job and it pays the bills and it puts food on the table. But, you know, if you're just doing it as amateurs like we are, then you're going to want to do it for yourself. Otherwise, you'll burn yourself out. Well, to play devil's advocate, earlier you were saying doing something that you're afraid of because you don't know if your life will be better off because of it. Well, you can still so, do that, but no, you're just going to know if you're making something, if you are enjoying it or not. If it doesn't spark joy. Yeah. Yeet it. Exactly. Yeah. If, so if you're doing you're this trying as a to hobby. Say is, no one to hold them. No one to fold no, them. No, no, no. <laughs> no one to walk away. No. Can we, um, can we purchase the rights to play that as our outro? Anybody? <laughs> you can can we make like a minor version? Yeah, get on it, Amy. Oh crap. Uh I can't be put on the spot. I'll i I'll have to do it another time. That's Later. not yes and. Oh <laughs> uh, no when a hold up. No. No and a hold up. Nope. No, 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 no. No, I'm pretty sure that was it. We're gonna get that it. was definitely <laughs> copyright it. strike. Oh god. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Sorry, no. I apologize. I just couldn't get it out of my head, so I had to say it to get it out of my head. All right. Nothing. I think that that was a good that was a good episode. We talked about a lot. That was awesome. Good job, everyone. I'm, my minions, I'm so proud of you. Thank you for being Thank here. Thank you. Yes, as always. I always try. And what about me? <laughs> You're it's also off. a minion. No. Yeah. Thank you. No. Oh, okay. Well. You are. Filet minion. No. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, our listening minions. (laughs) No, no, no. 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 We really appreciate you using your time. (laughs) That was gross. Really? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. It was funny, though. I mean, you can keep going, I guess, if you want. That's what I was going for. It was funny. It was funny. It was funny, gross. Just, 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 Just go. Actually, since Liam asked that, we should slow down. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. So much (laughs) for joining us. All right, I'm going to turn the air on. Today. We really appreciate you using your time to listen to us, weirdos. And we really hope you enjoyed today's shenanigans. If you want to reach us on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Reddit, we are 1L2N Productions, and we would love to hear from you. And if you like what we're doing and you want to help show your support for what we're doing, you can head on over to our Patreon and support what we're doing. And the last word of the day goes to... Oh, God, I gotta get my dice! Oh, no! Hold on. <laughs> and that is a two, and a two would be... Liam! Take it away. Uh, Africa.